grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. lesson for this 19th Sunday after Pentecost is found recorded in the book of Numbers chapter 11 beginning at the 16th verse. So the Lord said to Moses, gather 70 men from the elders of Israel for me, men whom you know to be elders and officers for the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and make them stand there with you. Moses went out and told the people the Lord's words. He gathered 70 men from the elders of the people and had them stand all around the tent. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. He took took from the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. Two men, however, remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other was Medad. They were listed among the elders, but they they had not gone out to the tent. The spirit rested on them, and they prophesied back in the camp. A young man ran and reported this to Moses. He said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide from his youth, answered, My Lord Moses, stop them. Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? If only all the Lord's people were prophets, so that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in the book of James, chapter 4, beginning at the seventh verse. So submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be changed into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother is speaking against the law and judging the law. But if you judge the law, you are not one who does the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge. He is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, beginning at the 38th verse. Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not try to stop him, because no one who does a miracle in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil about me. Whoever is not against us is for us. Amen, I tell you. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, will certainly not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall into sin, it would be better for him if he were thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around his neck. If your hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell, into the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to fall into sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is the gospel according to Mark chapter 9, beginning at the 38th verse. It is a longer text, and since I will also be reading it during the sermon, I'm going to open with these words of Jesus. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if the salt loses its flavor, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Gentlemen got up. It was during a district convention. He approached the mic, and the first words out of his mouth was, I am offended. I cannot remember what he was offended about to this very day, but those words have stuck into my mind. I am offended. The vice president of the district got up and questioned why he was so offended. And he didn't question what he was upset about. He questioned the use of the word offended. For the man had used the word offended in the sense, I do not like this. And just because you do not like it doesn't mean it's automatically an offense. You see, the word offense in the original Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, is the word literally means the stick that holds up the trap. So think of the trap that comes crashing down on a small animal. You put a stick under that lid, and then you tie that stick to a, with a, you know, a string to that stick. You hide behind a rock or a tree, and when that small animal would come under that trap, you pull the stick, came down the trap, you have your prize. So that word stick over time, that very word, was a word that eventually became known as an offense because it's trapping you, what's going on. And so this offense is used a number of times in our texts here, and it's always translated, it causes you to sin in the sense that you could lose your faith because of it. So it's an extremely dangerous offense. So think of it this way. You may not like peas, but are peas an offense? You might say to yourself, I'm offended by eating them, but those peas do not cause you to sin, and nor do they cause you to fall away from the faith, no matter how much you may dislike them. 
So be careful when you say, I don't like something, and exchange it with the words, I'm offended by it. Those two words don't mean the same. Jesus was speaking of offense to his disciples when he just got done talking with them about their discussion that they were having as he was making his way to Jerusalem for the last time. They had gotten into an argument, the, the apostles, concerning which of them was the greatest. And Jesus pointed out to them that being first is not being great. In fact, the first shall be last. He points out to them that what is important is to be, a, is to be last and, and to be a servant of all, not to be a lord over everyone. He even put a child on his lap and says, whoever welcomes one of these little ones welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. That's what it means to be a disciple. And now Jesus will continue what he says concerning being a disciple. And since we have the word salt in our text, we're going to be considering this morning, what does Jesus say? concerning being a well-seasoned disciple that's pleasing in God's sight. Our text opens with the words of the Apostle John coming to Jesus and, and letting him know what he and some of the other apostles were doing when they found a man performing miracles. They actually stopped him because he was not part of the twelve, and nor was he part of Jesus' inner circle of disciples. So they felt that this man casting maybe even out demons and, and doing miracles, perhaps even healing people, was out of line and uncalled for. In other words, seeing that the miracles was only reserved to, to the inner group and those closest to Jesus. Jesus makes it very clear to them that if he is not against us, then he is for us. Because even John had to admit that this was a man who was performing these miracles in the name of Jesus. Now, performing a miracle in the name of Jesus is no doubt, is no different than saying a prayer in the name of Jesus. We do not say a prayer by by simply offering Jesus' name up and, and repeating his name when we pray. No, when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying in the name, that very name, that Jesus has revealed in his holy word. It's everything that he reveals, who he is and what he has done for us. So in other words, when you pray in the name of Jesus, you're praying with a believing heart in the very Savior who gave you forgiveness and eternal life. So doing a miracle in the name of Jesus is doing a miracle with a believing heart. That's what John was admitting. This man is a believer. And Jesus told them that don't stop that believer. Even though they felt compelled to do so. In fact, Jesus continued with bringing out, especially, remember, under that theme of greatness? See, you could look upon performing a miracle as a wonderful and great act. Everyone looks at it, and they're awed by it. But Jesus points out an act just as great. 
whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. Not one of us will probably in our lifetime make Time Magazine as man or woman of the year. Probably not one of us is going to be known in this world as maybe someone who has accomplished something great and has received the Nobel Peace Prize and received millions of dollars for it. But my dear friends, in God's eyes, a mother who loves her child changes that dirty diaper wipes up that little spittle that happens after nursing when you're trying to burp the child. That mother may not be considered great in the, in the eyes of the world, but that dear precious soul will not be forgotten by the Lord God Almighty, and she will not lose her reward. Once again, be careful. Greatness is not how people see you. Greatness is humility as we serve the Lord with believing hearts. Jesus, that by the way, is a well-seasoned disciple. And now Jesus continues with some warnings. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to fall into sin, it would be better for him if he were thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around his neck. One of these little ones, of course we heard earlier that Jesus actually put a little child on his knees, so the word for little ones certainly includes that, but many commentators also include little ones as maybe young and new to the faith. In other words, causing anyone, no matter what age they are, to sin, to fall away from Christ. It would actually be better, according to Jesus, if he had a large millstone hung around his neck. This was not the small millstone you had in your house when you took the grain and, and, and you crushed it into a flour enough for a meal. No, this was the large millstone. In fact, in the Greek, it, it is put this way. It is the millstone of the donkey. This was the large millstone that was pulled by the donkey and you made large amounts of flour in, in, at one time. This was a, a millstone that was heavier than the average person and larger than the average person. In fact, it was larger than even a big person. And to have this hung around your neck means that puts you right to the bottom of the sea where you are destroyed and dead. You're going to drown. But it's more than that. Having a large millstone hung around your neck means it keeps you the furthest away from the person you are causing to sin and fall from their faith. In fact, Jesus even points out that anything that causes you to sin and fall from, fall from your faith, stay way away from. He puts it this way. If your hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go into hell, into unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to fall into sin, cut it off. 
It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two feet and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This sounds very gross. Cutting out eyes and, or plucking out eyes and cutting off hands and feet. We know that by nature we're sinful human beings and not only inherited a sinful nature, but from our own sinful heart, we have sinful actions. This is why Jesus came to pay for our sins on the cross. He suffered the punishment that we deserve because of sin. If we start cutting off parts of our body because we have sinned, we have to cut out our very heart. Because that too is corrupted with sin. This is a, obviously a parable. Jesus is not asking us to chop ourselves up. But what he's describing here is the work of a surgeon. When there's a part of your body that's infected and it could spread to the rest of the body and quite possibly end your life, even today surgeons will not hesitate to cut off that infected part in order to save the whole. Stay way away from that which could cause you to sin and stay away away from anything that could cause you to fall from faith in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Cut out those things that maybe we're watching that we ought not to be watching. Things that are not good for us mentally. Cut out those things that even with social media Becomes more and more people are scantily dressed and there's not left to the imagination at all and nor should we start imagining there's even websites that you can go for dating they're primarily meant for one night stands and, abu and abusing the very gift that God intended only for the realm of marriage. Cut out those things that we easily drink that cause us to get high, lose self-control. Those things that can destroy not just ourselves, but destroy relationship with others. Because it comes with lying, which leads to hurt and pain. Cut out those things that we smoke that we ought not to be smoking. Cut out those things that may be even your friends. Because they're leading you away from Christ and causing you to sin. Peer pressure is real. And it is so enticing. Come on, everyone's doing it. 
job because it's asking you to do things that you know would be against God himself and his precious holy word. Yes, cut out those things that would cause you to sin and fall away from Christ and fall away from the faith and fall away from the hope of everlasting life in heaven because of the opposite, the alternative, is hell. And the word hell here that is used, and keep in mind, there are several words for hell, but the one used here is the word Gehenna, and that actually is the Greek word that comes from the Hebrew phrase, Valley of Hinnom. And the Valley of Hinnom is where, is where Jerusalem, it was just outside of Jerusalem, it was one of the three valleys. That's where they threw the garbage. That's where flesh would be thrown, and, and there's where you would find the worms the maggots said that would be eating on that flesh. This is where they would start it on fire. And in fact, because the city was so large, they kept throwing the garbage and the fire never went out. It continued to burn and consume the trash. That's how they got rid of the trash. And that's what Jesus calls hell. Where the worm does not die. And the fire is never extinguished. Yes, it will be a place of physical torment and pain, but the worst part of it will be the spiritual and emotional pain of being separated from God forever. We don't even wish our worst enemies to such a wretched and horrible place that God made for the devil and his evil angels and all who reject him in unbelief. My friends, Cut out those things that are causing you to sin and fall away from the Lord. And instead, have salt in yourselves. This is not the first time that Jesus has spoke of salt. In his Sermon on the Mount, earlier in his ministry, he spoke of being the light of the world and being the salt of, of the world. But here he speaks of salt within you. So the question begs to be asked, what is this salt he wants us to have within himself, within ourselves? He does say everyone will be salted with fire, and, and for the apostles, that would certainly bring up memories of, of sacrifices, especially the grain sacrifices that required for them to be burnt up, but always to be salted first. And then he speaks of that salt is good, and if you lose its flavor. How can it be made salty again? So what is this salt? Even though Jesus doesn't tell us here, I agree with those who clearly come out and state that salt has to be the word of God. Isn't that what we need within us? Isn't that what, what we dare not lose? The very word of God that contains the law which burns us because it shows us our sins and it shows us that we are sinners who must cry out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And yet, it also contains the gospel which heals. Because the gospel announce, announces who our Savior is, who paid for those sins with his perfect life. And not only won for us the forgiveness of sins, but through faith in him, blessed us with that righteousness that is needed in order to go to heaven. He did it all. He won it all. 
and his invitation is to believe it. And through faith in him, we are saved. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of being in God's word and taking God at his word. Because my dear friends, this word is one thing we dare never cut out of our lives because it is the one thing needed. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. This is what it means to be a well-seasoned disciple. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemev l-u-t-h-e-r-a-n dot o-r-g. May God bless you today and every day.